Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Murder on the Space Coast, Left to Die. To me, the Crossway Green case is one of the most egregious cases of racism and bad prosecution. There's just no question that there was a rush to judgment on this case. We told Crosby that even though our initial charge was to get him off death row, that, you know, with my firm's backing, that we were going to do whatever was necessary to exhaust his appeals until we were able to, to get him out of prison. I'm John Torres, and welcome back to Murder on the Space Coast, Left to Die. It's early March 2020, and convicted killer Crosley Green's attorneys are preparing for a crucial mid-March hearing in federal court that could very well be his last shot at freedom. But regardless of whatever arguments are made in court, the question remains, what exactly happened at that orange grove in 1989? In the first episode, we learned that on-again, off-again couple Kim Halleck, 19, and her 22-year-old boyfriend, Chip Flynn, went for a late-night drive to Holder Park, where there are two encounters with a black man. Kim tells a few different stories that night, so we don't know if the black man was warning them about the police, just walking by, or trying to sell them drugs. But we do know that a second encounter with that man would prove deadly. Remember, it's between 11.30 and midnight on Monday night, April 3rd, 1989, when all this is going down. Here once again is Kim Halleck talking with detectives the following morning. Yeah, I told Chip I wanted to leave, and Chip didn't say anything to me for a minute, and then he turned around and told me it was all right because he said the black guy had left. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. Okay. How long approximately was it after the black male walked by that uh, Chip got out of the truck? It had been about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little longer. Okay. And did Chip say anything prior to getting out of the truck? When he got out of the truck, all I heard was, hold, hold on, wait a minute, man, wait a minute. Now, did Chip say anything prior to getting out of the truck? He just told me he was going to get out because he had to move back. Okay. And I said, okay. Okay. And when he got out, he, I heard him say, wait a minute, hold on, wait a minute, man. And I just looked and I saw a black guy, and I, Chip had a gun in his glove box. I took the gun out of the glove box and stuck it under some jeans that were next to me. Whose yeah. jeans were those? They were chips. Okay. And I undid the, there was just the holster, it was in a holster, I undid the holster, and I set him underneath there. According to Kim, Chip is approached by the same black man, only this time he's brandishing a gun. Kim, cool under pressure, reaches into the glove box for Chip's revolver and hides it under Chip's jeans, which were on the pickup truck's bench seat next to her. Now, she must have been super careful because, well, apparently Chip's glove box was broken and could not be opened without everything spilling out all over. Here is his buddy, David Stroop, addressing that very issue. 
as far as glove compartment, I remember that if you, if when you opened the latch, if you weren't careful, there was no catches to, to catch the, the glove compartment as it opened. If you just opened the latch, it would fall all the way down and the contents would, would fall onto the floor. And then here is David later in that same conversation talking about what he observed in the truck later that night after everything went down. Open up the vehicle, you remember seeing anything in there? Um, just the glove box we spoke of earlier that was dumped out onto the floor. I remember that just from being in his vehicle that if you didn't, as I said a moment ago, if you didn't catch it, and obviously it had been opened because the contents were on the, the passenger side floor. Hmm. So the contents did spill out all over the floor when she retrieved the revolver for Chip, and the black assailant simply didn't hear it? Like I said earlier, there are just lots of little inconsistencies in Kim's account of that night, as well as untruths. Remember I told you last episode that Kim testified in court that she and Chip smoked pot that night? Well, here is what she told detectives on the morning of April 4th, 1989. Okay, let me cover this, uh this real briefly with you and then we'll terminate the interview. I know I had asked you this before and it's important, you know, that you are truthful with us because, you know, it may or may not, you know, help our case. Uh, have you ever known Chip to uh, engage in any type of, uh, you know, narcotics or drugs, marijuana, crack cocaine, so forth? He used to do marijuana. How long ago? I don't know how long ago. Did he ever do it in your presence? No. But at court, she testified that after arriving at Holder Park, she and Chip smoked marijuana together, roughly a half a joint, she said. I get lying about drug use initially. I mean, it was the 80s after all, the war on drugs and all that. Now, I've tried to get an interview with Kim for this podcast to try and clear up some of these things. I've used social media, a valid email address, and even snail mail. Her phone number said that it had recently been changed or disconnected and I have yet to hear from her. But anyway, back to that night. The black man then proceeds to order Chip to the ground. According to Kim, her and Chip are now being robbed at gunpoint. He asked us, after he told Chip to get out on the ground, he asked us how much money he had. Chip said he didn't have his wallet with him. And I said I had $5, and I got it out and gave it to him. Mm -hmm. Then he looked in Chip's truck, Child Chip's shoe and told me to get him the shoe, and I got him the shoe. Okay, prior to this, had he, had he said anything else to, uh, to Chip or to you verbally? You indicated earlier that he had been calling Chip names. Or... He'd been calling him crack, crackhead, crack, mm-hmm. crackerhead, me a slut. Chip's just said, just let her go, you can have me. And like I said, I'm going to let you go. And he, then he, he threw the tennis shoe at me. Let me take the shoelace out. So I took the shoelace out. He tied up Chip's arms, and while he was tying up Chip's arms, his gun went off. Okay. Did did he intentionally fire the gun? I don't think he did at that point. I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. And then he he tied Chip's hands together. And he made Chip. How did he tie his hands? With the shoelace. Mm-hmm. In front or in back? Behind his behind his back. Uh huh. And he got Chip up, and he got his wallet out of his pants. How is Chip, uh, what position is Chip in at this time? He was on his knees when he got his wallet out of his pants. Chip okay. was on his knees. Okay. And he opened up the wallet, and then he threw it at me and told me to take out the money mm-hmm. and count it. 
And approximately how much money was in the wallet? $185. Okay. He, I don't remember if I gave him the wallet back or if I just set it down. Gave him the money. He tried to make, he shipped that up. Made me start, I got out of the truck. He made me start the truck. Okay, what, what is he doing uh, prior to this? What is he doing with the gun while he is instructing, giving you the instructions? He's got it on chip. He's holding the gun on chip? Yeah. That first gunshot, the one Kim said appeared accidental when he was tying Chip's hands, goes off sometime between 11.30 and midnight, and the bullet goes straight into the ground. After the black man ties Chip's hands behind his back with a shoelace, he orders Kim to start the pickup truck and tells Chip to get into the passenger side of the truck. Now, at this point, it's unclear what the black man's motive could be. He has the money. He has the gun. He has the truck if he wants it, and Chip is tied up. Now, we've all heard the stories of how we're sometimes capable of great feats of strength when faced with extreme situations and danger. The woman who lifts the car to free her pinned child, etc. But one of the mysteries of this case is how Chip could have gotten up into his pickup truck, which was at least 36 inches off the ground. In order to get in, you needed to pull yourself up by the grab handle. That's not easy to do with your hands tied behind your back. Here is Timmy Lee Curtis, local mechanic who actually owned that truck and wound up selling it to Chip about three months earlier. This truck, you had to open the door and you had to physically climb up in it. You opened the door and physically climbed up with a jumping motion to get up in it. Again, not to belabor the point, but it's unlikely Chip would be able to get himself into this truck with his hands tied behind his back. Now, according to Kim, the black man starts driving the truck. She's in the middle, and Chip is to the right by the passenger window. The black man is driving the stick shift vehicle while all the while holding a gun to his prisoners and ordering them to keep their head down. I bring this up because normally you would either need three hands to make this happen or just exhibit amazing dexterity. But this truck? Well, this truck was even tougher to drive than most. Here is Timmy Lee Curtis again. He is speaking this time with private investigator Paul Cialino from Chicago. It was a Chevrolet pickup truck that I'd sold him to fix it up a little bit. What kind of tires did that truck have on it, Tim? Uh, Had groundhog mud tires. Can you a little bit descriptive of what the tires look like and how big they are? Tire probably about this wide, sets probably about 35 inches off the ground okay. from bottom to top. And you customize that truck with them tires yourself personally? Yeah, I fixed the truck up. And what kind of transmission did that truck have? It had a four speed transmission, which actually was a low gear, one, two, three, which was a three speed with a granny gear. By the way, Tim, what's your trader occupation? Um, I've been an auto body man with my father in our own business for a little over 20 years. For your whole life? Yeah, for my whole life. You're professional when it comes to automobiles and trucks and vehicles and that sort of thing. Yes, sir. Fixing and repairing them. Okay. Now, with this particular vehicle, would it be difficult for someone to operate if they had never driven it before? Most definitely. Why would it be difficult? The one reason is because it was a four-wheel drive and because the truck was jacked up and because the truck had such a big tire on it that if you've never driven a truck before, it'd be, it'd be a hard truck to operate. You think that an individual who had little experience would be able to operate this vehicle and hold a gun in his hand and shift gears and drive um, all over the area, including in a heavily sanded area, do you think they would be able to do that? It would be 
extremely difficult. Cardis would also tell Florida Department of Law Enforcement agents in 1999 that Chip stalled that truck between 5 and 15 times when he first took it for a test drive. Remember that nugget, because it plays a pivotal role in the stories of Crosley Green and Chip Flynn. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now again, according to Kim Halleck, the black assailant drives them out of Holder Park onto US-1, and then to an orange grove to the east of US-1. Kim, who you remember said she'd been told to keep her head down, said she was able to peek up once in a while to get her bearings. So picture the scene. What initially appeared to be a robbery now has turned into a kidnapping. A black assailant is driving a truck with a young, terrified couple next to him. He's got the guy's hands tied behind his back and the woman is in the middle. The assailant is holding a gun on them while he makes his way out of Holder Park. The couple have a gun, too. One the woman smartly hid before her ex-boyfriend was forced, hands tied, back into the truck. And now her ex has managed to grab hold of that gun as they're being driven off of the main road to what appears to be an old abandoned orange grove. It's approaching midnight. Dark, the streets are empty. The waning crescent moon is providing little light to the nighttime sky. The couple don't know what's about to happen. When you get in the truck, Chip found the gun that I had gotten out. He took it. I guess he had taken it out of the holster. Do you remember uh, what all uh, objects uh, in the truck that the black male touched? The steering wheel, the outside and inside of the driver door, and I think the outside of the passenger door and the stick shift. And that's all I can. Okay, you didn't attempt to turn a radio or uh, air conditioner or anything like that. I think he might have touched the dash on the driver's side. Mm-hmm. Touched the dash. I'm not sure. I'm not real sure. Turn the headlights on. I was trying to untie Chip's hands while we were going there. Mm-hmm. From behind, but I couldn't get it. Chip had the gun in his hand. He tried to get me to scoot up, but it was too obvious to scoot up, so I guess he could get shoot at the black guy that was driving. I'm not sure. He tried to get me to move up, and I couldn't. Not him noticing. So when he stopped the truck, he turned it off, he grabbed me, yanked me out of it, and Chip tried to get right along with me. I had a hold of Chip's arm. As the black assailant drives them into the orange grove, the night is silent except for the low hum of an irrigation pump nearby. Chip Flynn still has his hands tied behind his back, but he's also got his revolver, and the assailant does not know that. We know from the weather reports that there was only a sliver of moon that night. We also know from the police accounts that the orange grove was so dark they couldn't see anything without flashlights. Now, after a short, terrifying ride from Holder Park to the orange grove, the black assailant brings Chip's hard-to-drive pickup truck to a stop, and three lives are altered forever. Here again is Kim Halleck, hours after the attack, telling detectives what happened. All right, so after the truck stops, does does he shut the truck off? Yeah, he shut the truck off. Does he turn the lights out? 
Okay, so it's so it's completely dark. Yes. Okay. What does he do that next? He yanks me with him, and Chip tried to get out with me. But when Chip tried to get out, he shut the door, and Chip kind of kept the door open a little bit. Okay. The black male gets out of the driver's side of the truck, with holding you. My arm. Is he still? What is he doing with the gun at this time? He's still got it on me. He's got the gun on me. Okay. Then he, sh- try- he shuts the door on Chip, and Chip kind of kept it open a little bit. And when he was trying to pay attention to Chip, I got away. I ran around the truck to the passenger side. I opened the door. Just as I got to the door and opened it, got about one foot in. He go- the black guy came after me back around the same way I went behind the truck, uh-huh. grabbed my arm, yanked me back out, and I fell on the ground by the back rear tire of the truck uh-huh. on the passenger side. And he was, like, next to me with one arm around me and a gun at my face. What position were you in at that time? I was on the ground, like, How squatting on? down. I wasn't laying or nothing. I was squatting. Okay, and which which arm or hand did he have around you at the time? He had his left arm around me. So he would have been holding the gun and still right, in the right hand? In the right hand. It was on my face. Okay. And what, if anything, did Chip do at that time? Chip had the gun. He scooted over passenger door. I had the door was open because I had opened it. And he told me that he I don't know, the black guy told me he was going to shoot my head and shoot blow my brains out if I didn't shut up because I was crying. And he told me I was a slut. And he told me and this, that All time, this is occurring while he is hold, while you're yeah. squatting at the rear of the truck? Yeah. Are you following this? The black assailant rips Kim from the truck and struggles to keep Chip inside. Kim manages to get away momentarily, long enough to open Chip's door before being driven to the ground with a gun to her head. And then something truly extraordinary happened. About then, Chip, his hands were behind his back, he leaned out of the truck and somehow shot at the guy, and the guy stepped back, chipped him out of the truck, I jumped in the truck, shut the passenger door, then I reached over and locked it, and I heard about five or six gunshots. Did he just kind of fall out of the truck onto the ground, or did he, he jump? Dope, like face first on the ground onto his stomach, mm-hmm. so I could get in and leave. Hands bound behind his back, Chip thrusts himself from the truck headfirst and manages to somehow fire a shot at the assailant, who has his left arm around Chip's girlfriend, holding her while his right hand is pointing a gun at her face. Incredibly, Kim Halleck was not injured. Chip's daring attempt, however, did allow her to dart back into the pickup truck and lock the door. Okay, when Chip fired the first shot, Mm -hmm. the black guy was still standing next to you with his left arm around you, holding the gun with his right hand against your head. Yeah. Okay. After the first shot, what did the black male do? He stepped back. Did he let go of you? Yeah. Yes, he let go of me. Did he make uh, any type of noises, groans? Did he yell? I think he yelled. Do you remember specifically what he said? If anything? Just like, ah, because I guess it scared him because he didn't know we had a gun. He didn't know the whole time we had a gun. Okay. And... I got in the truck, locked the door, and he shot Chip four times, and I heard, after he shot, after he heard the shots, I heard Chip yell, go. Kim Halleck drives away, and nothing would ever be the same. 
Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, Left to Die. I had, I had already heard about it. I read it in the paper, but nothing, nothing where I could go into any kind of detail. Just that there was a local homicide and that the remains of the boy were found out in an orange grove in northern uh, yeah. Brevard County. Did you and Kim Halleck hang out together? In no. Okay. Did she call you on the telephone at your home? No. Did she call you at the office of her? No. For now, I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on this case and web exclusives, please go to floridatoday.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.